I am Kelly Brown Douglas, and you are listening to Just Conversations, where we explore the racialized inequities intrinsic to our nation and our collective responsibility to create a more just future. Later in this episode, I will speak with leaders from the Baltimore nonprofit Youth as Resources. But first, I am here with Bishop-elect in the Diocese of Chicago, Paula Clark, where she will be the first black person to hold that position. With Bishop-elect Clark, I discuss a wide range of topics being considered this week at the General Convention and many of the most pressing challenges facing our nation and church today. I am so thankful that her voice and witness will be added to the House of Bishops later this year. Thank you for joining us. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and do enjoy my conversation with Bishop-elect Clark. Thank you so much, Bishop-elect Clark, for joining me in this conversation. Well, this is my pleasure. It's wonderful to be here. So thank you so much. Well, let's jump right in to the questions. Here we are at our 80th general convention being held in Baltimore. Of course, uh, it was due to the pandemic delayed a year. And again, in response to health issues surrounding the pandemic, uh, the convention has been uh, downsized uh, this year. This is your first convention as bishop-elect, soon to be bishop. and. Uh, as you've reminded me, you have voice but no vote uh, at at this convention. Right. With that in mind, though, we know that there are some over 400 and some resolutions uh, coming before the convention. I don't know who in the world can read all of those resolutions, but we know our church likes to do resolutions. Mm-hmm. Resolutions notwithstanding, Bishop-elect Clark, what do you think are the most pressing issues facing our church today and that our general convention perhaps should take up? Well, first of all, let me say I'm very proud of our church. We've taken stands on things that people are afraid to confront and we've done it. We've done it over and over again. And in the research I've done, we've done it for a really long time. So as we face this new terrain, um, to have the church meet the really things that no one else will take up is what I'm really, really devoted to. I once had a person, well, it was a little person, he was like eight years old, who said, well, he stood in front of our church and said, hey, y'all, stop, because we're doing good things here. Everything we take up matters to you. So I think we are counter-narrative to the wider and the wider society. And so if we take up some of those things we have in the past, we, we will go further 
than most. So, like, our society has talked about rolling back Roe v. Wade. Yes. And for us, as the Episcopal Church, that's intolerable. It's intolerable. That's right. And so, when I do research, we talked about it in the 60s. And here we are. 2022, and we have to deal with it aggressively. And so I'm like that kid. Hey, we're doing important work here, and this is what we say about that. So if we deal with that, um, that's important to me. Um, also, we're dealing with a time of pandemic. We have to consider the church in a pandemic time as opposed to how we fund it for it. And uh, so if we take up what it means for us to be church right now, right. then we've done our work and we've been on it. The Episcopal Church has had the benefit of moving light years in just and so we must spend our time talking open communion or not whether or not we have the wine or not and all that and for us administratively it matters but the bigger issue is what does church do yes. in a time of pandemic and we have to say something aggressively about it. So we would have done if we did that. Um, also, the whole issue of persons who love within their gender and persons who are transgender has been something that many other churches can deal with or fighting over right now. Right. We're not. And we know what we want, and we know what we stand for. So if we leave here and affirm the dignity of every human being, then we've done our work. No, thank you for that. And and I, I want to pick up on something you've said here in relationship to Baltimore and as well as the wider uh, issues, especially as uh, you are about to be consecrated bishop in Chicago. But let me start with Baltimore. And you said that the Episcopal Church has been and can provide a counter narrative, right? Yes. To what is going on in wider society. Uh, and so this, and you named these issues of uh, Roe v. Wade and, and the Dobbs decision, and we have to provide a counter narrative to that. The best of, in the best of our history we have, we know yeah. there have been times when we haven't. We oh, That's yeah. right, we'd rather talk about uh, open communions and candlesticks on altars than face slavery and all of the other things. So it, you, the, the, that view, this counter narrative becomes significant. And uh, and so here you are 
few miles from, uh, not too far from where this mass shooting just occurred and, yeah. and Highland uh, Park and mm -hmm. Illinois. Yeah. And we know that the wider issue here is the epidemic of guns. Uh, oh, yeah. In, in yeah. this nation. And we have a Supreme Court that is opening up uh, and uh, the availability to guns, preventing uh, states like New York from controlling access to these guns. Mm -hmm. The Episcopal Church has, has, again, been on sort of, as we might like to say, the moral side of the issue in terms of guns and for gun control. What that we're meeting at this time? Mm-hmm. As a general convention, you know, I want to turn our attention away from resolutions about that. Yeah. administratively, that's important, prayer book and all that kind of thing. But we are meeting in a time when people, there are these mass shootings, this time of white supremacy, this time when uh, we are taking, this country is moving back to a period and time in this country when people of color and women didn't have rights over their own bodies. So what should be, what do you hope the church leaves or says or does in re to really be a counter narrative to what's going on? Let's, let's just start with guns uh, yeah. and gun control. How can the, we're meeting. How can we make ourselves known on this issue and say that this meeting is about more than just resolutions? We do that by aggressively saying it, right? So although we have an issue with um, being administrative, we've always, no, let me correct that, of late, we have been very forceful and courageous on issues of gun violence, on reproductive rights, of abortion and homosexuality, the rights of all people. And I congratulate us on that. You're right. We've often not been on the right, right side. Uh, of issues. Often we fell short. Um, but we have to say, right, forthrightly, because that's a counter narrative right now, um, we cannot tolerate the situation we have with violence, period, period. And that in, in encompasses even domestic violence. But the um the guns are tolerable. I have to take this as a point of privilege and talk about it. So you're right. I I got here and was attending the UBE Unit of the Business Conference uh, on holiday, right? And um, we had an unfortunate situation with the mass shootings of people attending a parade. That's what they were doing. Millions of people across the country 
Gatsby did the same thing. And they couldn't leave there without first some were killed, many were maimed. You know, we had 25 people in the hospital and, um, and many more, and I can speak to this firsthand. Um, many lost their loved ones. I know about that. It's not, I lost my husband last November. So I know what that means. You live with that through your whole lifetime. Those people were precious that they lost. And so we now know that the um, the shooter got the high-powered rifle for Christmas from his father. That's absolutely intolerable. We can't have that. And um, he used that rifle against people who passed and are maimed. And he planned on going somewhere else. So if we don't attack this issue of gun violence, we've lost already. And we don't care about life. The sanctity of life. He was going somewhere else and shooting up more people that we can't have. But I have to say, I come from a place that deals with gun violence every single day. So we lost seven people on Monday. During the 4th of July weekend, we lost 57 people. Well, we had 57 people shot. And that's a rural, I mean, not in our rural areas, but in our urban areas, reality. That's what we deal with every day. And so I care about all those people, all of them. And so gun violence doesn't deal with only the high-powered, highly visible issues. It deals with everyone. And so I think that's a niche for the Episcopal Church. We care about all God's people. And so you're right. We have to speak to the, the problems of gun violence in our country. That doesn't mean that we don't care about the Second Amendment. It means that we hold it to a very high standard. And you're right. And what I like here, uh, Bishop-elect Clark, again, is you talk about counter-narrative, taking a stand. That's what the church means. We have to not follow. Yeah. We have to lead the way. We have to lead the way to a more nonviolent society, which is a society, you know, where people can grow into the fullness of whomever it is and talk about it, the violence that are guns, the violence uh, that is poverty, the violence that is indeed uh, uh, dehumanizing and does not allow for people to flourish. Let me, I'm gonna get you out of here on two last questions. One, you are in Baltimore. <laughs> Oh, as, yeah. you, as you have said, 
and you know uh, you were with us in the Diocese of Washington for a long time, so you know Baltimore well and Washington and these sort of urban centers that have the uh, problems that urban centers have, the problem of neglect uh, and yeah. the problems that that creates, the violence of neglect of these centers. You're going to Chicago, again, reflective of the violence of neglect. Uh, to, but yet, you know, there are threads uh, on social media from folks coming into the convention in the Episcopal Church that talk about their fears of being in the city that say, oh, we'll be okay, we're in the gentrified area. Bishop Alec Clark, <laughs> what, you know, what can we, how, how are we going to get those folks out of the convention hall uh, and see Baltimore? What, what would you like, I mean, we've got to face it, our church is uh, ha, uh, the church with the legacy of wealthy slaveholders is over 90% uh, white. There are not all those speaking the fears of what it means to be in Baltimore. I read uh, in an article and ENS uh, 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 Episcopal Church leader said, well, we're near the Inner Harbor and it's really nice down here. Uh, how do we, how do we break into that so that our church can be church uh, and see Baltimore and not and listen to the Baltimores and uh, open itself up to the lessons and challenges of the Baltimores, freeing itself from what it means to have that history of being the legacy of wealthy slaveholders. So honestly, um we can never give up. Um, so it would be very easy to stay here, you know, to be down by in the harbor, and it is lovely. But what I've encountered is that people are willing in our church, even with our history of the slaveholders, and we did that. Um, I heard of a, someone talk about how slaves in Maryland were sold for communion sex. Okay, so the money from the sale of a slave enabled the church to buy communion sex. We have to get over that. We have to. And I found that people are willing if they open their mind to going where others don't go. I was really gratified to see that the UBE went beyond the doors of just the gentrified with beyond. And so we gave money to a program for youth in the areas that are learning to um, expand beyond what is their everyday reality. And so we help with tutoring and application and all that. And they receive money for that. We also given to a choir 
a youth fire that is going beyond what we know now and evangelize to others. That's one thing. I come from a slate of people. All of us were people of color. The Episcopal Church in the Diocese of Chicago, 31,000 people, maybe 500 Blacks total. They brought forward a slate of all people of color. This is an enormous We have well, I belong to a committee on racial reconciliation. That's my committee. And people are ready to do more. That's counter narrative. That's what we know here is that we're going beyond it. So although I know people are really happy about being at the inner harbor, there's a whole conversation going on the that he says who cares about the inner harbor how about the people over there and how about the people in my own diocese who aren't represented who don't have voice we want to talk to them because we don't know anything right they know what we don't so we're listening and we're growing and we're learning those are the people, quite frankly, who are growing our Episcopal Church. And I'm excited about that. And we're blessed, Bishop-elect Clark, to have you joining the House of Bishops to help keep alive this what you call narrative uh, or counter narrative because it is you know the jesus movement i keep yeah. thinking i think as you were speaking of uh, our presiding bishop has, has called us into the jesus movement and that movement means a movement if we're going to follow jesus away from the convention halls away from yeah. the inner harbor where jesus would be moving with the people listening learning and the, therefore growing into be church. Bishop-elect Clark, I've kept you much longer than I promised you I would. Uh, we have so learned from you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your presence. And thank you for your ministry and what it will bring to our church. Uh, and you. good luck in this general convention. For today's second interview, I spoke with leaders from the organization Youth as Resources, also known as YAR. YAR is a youth-led, grant-making, community organizing, and leadership development nonprofit in Baltimore. They are helping young people address their city's most critical challenges. I spoke with Julie Reeder, who is the director of YAR at the Baltimore Community Foundation, and Tori Grace, 
who is an executive team member on YARD's Board of Directors, which is comprised of young people ages 14 to 24 years of age. Tori is a 20-year-old woman who had no warning that she would be interviewed by me until a few minutes before we started. And so I was struck by how confidently and boldly she spoke about Yara's work and the issues in her school and in her community. It is so clear to me that if I were to move forward, at, if we rather are to move forward as a more just nation, then certainly young persons like Tori need to have a seat at the table. They need to be heard by leaders in our communities, in our society, and they certainly need to be heard by leaders in our church. I hope you enjoy this conversation and learn as much from it as I did. I want to thank you both for your time uh, as you are doing important work uh, in the city of Baltimore. So thank you for taking the time away from that work to be with me in this conversation today. Thank you. So I want to jump right in by asking you, tell us what is youth as resources? So um, youth as resources, we do a lot, honestly. Um, we <laughs> are a community organizing, grant making, and leadership development organization. Um, our core work is grant making, so that's what comes first. Our top priority, we give grants to young people in Baltimore City to start up and carry out projects, organizations, programs, uh, small businesses that positively impact our city. And um, outside of that work, well, we have two grant cycles a year and outside of those grant cycles, we still have an issue agenda with other things we work on, um, mental health, school police accountability, disability awareness, um, school climate and supporting efforts around youth homelessness. Young, we're youth led. I don't know if I yes. mentioned that part, but we're youth led and like our young people just year round develop our curriculum for our workshops, our trainings, whatever may be the case, we all come together and come up with these ideas. Um, yeah, so Tori, here's one of the most impressive things about an already impressive organization, and we're gonna get to the grant making and the things that you all do, mm -hmm. is that struck me immediately was that you are youth led. So I want you to stick on, let's stop on that for a moment. You're a member of the board. Now, Julie's your director, right? But the youth run it. And when I we came into this conversation and uh, we invited Julie and she said, no, no, I'm, I'm not the one, our youth. It's like, I work for the youth. Uh, so you've got to speak to the youth. So tell me about this. This is a youth-led board of what about 20 youth from ages 14 to what 24, 24. So to 24 so tell me uh, this is an all youth ran organization tell me about that <laughs> and how did you become involved yeah i was about to go into that but um for the youth-led part i i'm not 
I'm like one of our oldest board members, but I'm 20 and our oldest board member is 22 now. So, <laughs> so tell me, how do you guys become members of the board? How did you get there? Uh, Tori? I'm like, uh, I'm second generation. So my mother's cousins were there. Um, I attended yard summer camp when I was like seven. And then I said, I told Julie, when I'm old enough, I'm going to be on the board. Um, but the important part is not how I ended up here because that's just like family things. Uh, the important part is like why I stayed. Um, <laughs> why I stayed like I stayed because it's youth led, literally because it's youth led. We come up with that decisions like on our issue agenda, like the things we work on outside of our grant making, we have um, mental health and uh, supporting efforts around youth homelessness. Those two um, ideas, like they kind of sparked from like a conversation that I had with one, with one of our board members. So that was nice being able to like personally make that connection and like and put that into our work implemented into our work so yeah <laughs> so i want to come back to you in a moment but i want to you i i notice the interaction with you and julie you said well you know julie will say something we didn't take it because it's not youth-led julie what's it like uh working with the youth and 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 tell me a little bit about how you became involved so um how did i well i'm, I'm a community organizer so I didn't, and I didn't mean to work with young people. So um, it just sort of happened. So I, so I always liked working with young people and I just didn't see young people as any different. So I was just really, have always been interested in um, power, like real power, right? but not, not mine, right? Because I have power and privilege because I'm, I'm white. So, so how do I, how do I not cause harm with that? And so I don't think of myself as a leader. I don't know what I think of myself as, but I think it's really important that the people, that power is transferred to the people that are impacted by issues. And with young people um, who certainly didn't cause the problems and are so often um, blamed. So I don't, you know, usually my opinions are on the how, not the what, but I know around the issue agenda, um, it was interesting because when YAR was like one of the few youth organizations years ago, it didn't matter what people, people would just be like, what, like other organizations, we need a young person on our board, you know, but you're like soccer, you're doing soccer. Like I don't have a soccer player. So just, um, so we just kept getting pulled all over the place. And so that's why the board years ago said, well, we need to have these issues to focus on. And then that bloomed to like, it's not just like we're naming issues it like really bloomed to like really doing real policy and process change work. I mean, everything from creating a peer led mental health curriculum and kind of demanding that the school system incorporate um, peer he healing strategies to the school police work. Everybody knows is what I'm always excited about you know, Tori will probably talk about the report card. It's yeah, not a little piece of paper that we go around and try to institute every year. We made the school system adopt that into their policies that they would do that every year. There are policies around diversion that we've been around the table with. So I can't, I can, I cannot talk firsthand on the challenges that young people have being around tables. But like at this point, our organization, like the young people that run yard are so dope that like 
they don't really care about being around tables. Like they have their own table. They'll come around the table. They're going to get treated in a certain manner and they demand to get treated in a certain manner. And it sort of um, opens the eyes of a lot of people. And so I think it's cool. I think it's really, I've been here a really, really long time and I'm still grateful to be here. Like I was like, I'm tell you was it so um people often talk who are most impacted uh to listen to people from the community or listen to our youth but they don't do that they end up they talking talking to the youth talking down to the youth and and proposing to the youth and right and youth fit into their agenda and what's so impressive to right. about this organization is that the youth write the agenda and 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 tell what what the issues are for youth and and so uh this what and so the youth are empowered at the same time that they're doing the work right uh julian tory so i want to hear more about how you come uh to some of these issues and challenges like the police report card i'm so impressed uh with that <laughs> Uh, Tori, can you tell me something about that? We realized that in 2015, uh, I think it was like, it was statistics around like, um, you being more, being 10 times more likely to be arrested in Baltimore City Public Schools yep. than in any other district. So um, with that, we developed, we started holding focus groups and asking our peers and stuff how they felt about school police and then most of them had, like, if they had no relationship with their school police at all, they were like, we didn't even know we had those here. And we're like, well, you do. Or it was like, yeah, our school police suck. We don't like them. They're macing us. It's this and that. Just a lot of different issues. And from that, we continued to do focus groups. Like, we have led a few listening, ses listening sessions and focus groups, like, recently. And we have a um, listening session around that one third today <laughs> i'm like <laughs> today <laughs> but um we did that and from there we like developed a bunch of questions to put in the report card like how well your school police do their job if they do their job at all like what's your relationship with them stuff like that just a grading tool for students to like grade their school police and what it and it was more than just a report card i uh read where you made some policy suggestions and changes that have to happen in the schools. And we know, I mean, the Baltimore City schools are so challenged in so many ways, and this policing is just one uh, of these challenges. And, and I'm glad that you lifted up the uh, disproportionate rate of arrest uh, by school police in the Baltimore City School District, as well as the disproportionate rate of suspensions and expulsions and arrests uh, when it comes to uh, particularly uh, black children and black youth and black students and in the school system. And so that you all would tackle this issue, uh, which is, Tori, a national issue. And yet Baltimore uh, is illustrative of it in, in many ways. So. You all lead the way. This youth, youth as resources is leading the way in the ways in which there could be changes. So you offered policy changes that are being implemented. Can you speak to that? Um, yes. I first wanted to talk about um, just 
like with some stuff with some of the changes we made like we have a relationship we have a really good relationship with chief of school police but i would say that's an accomplishment because we worked really hard to build that relationship um so there's there we make a few suggestions to him he's most of the time really open to us and then sometimes he's like um this is my job um and i'm like <laughs> okay but uh outside of that like with officers like walking around schools and carrying their guns with them wow. during the day we don't want that to happen well we didn't want that to happen so we made that like we helped uh get the bill passed so they wouldn't like be able to carry guns during the school hours like walk just walking around the schools like they're there but if they need to protect students but not for police and students um complaint form we also developed a student-friendly complaint form because like we found out that the complaint form for school police officers is like it's not really that well and then it was an anonymous anonymous one that was like half anonymous and you can't like put one in without having your parent there like your literal parent and then we know there's some people that don't live with their parents but they live right. with like their aunt or cousin or something um so we made it so they can fill it out on their own or at least with a trusted guardian that's not like legally their guardian if that's the case if their life is like a little hectic you know and a couple of policies that weren't written by the board sort of word for word but were advocated for um, by the board were, were policies around force to make that a lot clearer um, when force, if it was ever appropriate, like when it was appropriate and what the accountability should look like mm -hmm. around that. And also um, around diversion. And there's a lot of worked on diversion policies, but we've been around that table um, with diversion. And I, and I really like yeah. a, when Tori says, um, because, you know, there are 20 young people at YAR. There are like eight to 10 young people that actually work at YAR um, and, and, you know, lead the staff's agenda, um, you know, put, put the staff leadership to the agenda. But um, that doesn't mean that we sit around, 10 of us and me, not getting hurt. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Look at stupid. Um, and say, this is what's really bothering us. I mean, they, like, they... They, well, they live in, you know, we all, well, I do too, we all live in the community, but, um, you know, we've talked to 2,000 young people as we've, you know, implemented and recommended on um, policies around school police. Yeah, and, no, I and thank you for saying that because Tori speaks of it as if it's sort of uh, so easy, but you all put in the research yeah, and you put in the work and you came up with a very impressive uh not an ABCD report card, a report, uh, right. and indicated in that report of all of the uh, on the ground, if you will, research you did and, and interviews. So this is just an example of what youth mm -hmm. as resources do. And I want all who are listening uh, and tuning in to this podcast to now go further and and go to the website of youth as resources and if you're in you listen <laughs> to it and you're at the convention go take a go down and 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 see the work of youth as resources and don't just see it uh contribute to the work help for you know uh, help fund this work because you also youth as resources also uh makes grants to other youth organizations as 
Tori said, we could go on and talk about many of the things that you do. And so this is just the tip of the tip of the iceberg, if you will, of the power of this organization. But I want to ask you now, as we bring this conversation to the end, you're getting ready, you have in your city, as this airs, you will have in your city thousands of church leaders in the Episcopal Church in Baltimore. What is it that you want to say that the that uh, these leaders should hear from the youth of Baltimore? And not only hear, what would you want them to do while they're in this city and take away? Okay. Uh, I have a top answer for that question always, but um, I want to add two things. Uh, so Julie did just talk about a diversion program. That's just like a way, instead of arresting young people, a way to like put them into a program or organization such as YAR um, to like just better themselves instead of like going to jail or prison or something. Um, and we are a diversion program. Um, also, I wanted to add on that we are in the process of revamping our website. So, <laughs> <laughs> so don't judge us. <laughs> no. And for that, I feel like my question is, well, my answer to that question um, since I'm a young person that's not in school anymore, it's like just having a seat for young people at the table, like you can't make decisions yes. for young people without having them yes. getting their input and like having as much power as any adult at the table. And like, I know I say this a lot, but like I literally go to a bunch of meetings where they talk about what can we do for young people, young people this, young people that in the meetings are at 10 in the morning, one o'clock in the in the evening i mean oh in the afternoon and it's just like that's when all the young people are in school doing something that's useful to them so it's like you have to be considerate and like set meetings after school hours on weekends maybe just so you can have young people there like we're not really going to feel like we matter if the meetings are in the middle of the day and sometimes when i bring that up they're like well we have you and i'm like well to help young people like it's like people who work in the school system trying to better school for students but i'm like yeah i'm not even in school anymore <laughs> so so you know what that is a very thank you for uh that tori have young people involved and not just there as representational but uh there uh because their voices matter and you bring i'm you bring important ideas and, and an important vision and you know how to get things done so i i'm just going to follow up on that and then i promise i'm gonna uh let you go you and i are going to talk again but uh and that is this you know we know that churches and the episcopal church of which i'm a part is really struggling uh to have uh youth involved in the church and youth are leaving the church uh, to, uh so you know how get young people involved can you speak to that what how should the church what 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 should the church be hearing from young people as to why they aren't involved uh uh uh, in the church and these religious institutions? I mean, 
in some cases, it really is hard to get young people involved. So, like, if you're not providing an incentive in some way, it's like it might be even harder. But with that, you just literally go into it with with no task. Don't come with a task or with something <laughs> idea that you want them to do. Come maybe come with a survey with like a few topics and say, what would you want to work on? What do you feel like is important? And then from there, you can pick out like topic answer and like it's like. I wouldn't say we all share the same opinion, but like we all have some sort of similar interests. So like most people pick this, but I'm sure the people who didn't pick that could find passion within it and like work on this, help you out with this. Or sometimes in some cases, it's like young people that are like not involved in community organizing as much and they just out having fun. You get what you can from them, I guess, or like when you can get them or you have this, you like build this relationship, building relationships is the most important way of getting uh, that as well. But <laughs> once you build this relationship with them, like you have to know what type of relationship y'all have. Like, is this somebody I can call on for every meeting? Like, and they're going to be there. Or is this somebody that I could get a opinion on around this topic or a certain topic? You got to know who you can not like use in a bad way, but like who you can use for what? Yeah, who you can engage with. You thank you, Tori. And two important things that you've said. One, again, uh, don't come to them with what you want them to do. Ask what's important uh, to the youth and building relationships. I want to end us there. Uh, for this conversation and really thank you and Julie for taking the time to share uh, about youth as resources. This has been for me a very <laughs> uh, exciting conversation and an inspiring uh, conversation. And I know uh, and hope that this is only the beginning of the relationship that we will have with use of resources as the Episcopal Divinity School. Yeah. I hope uh, the beginning of relationships that many in the Episcopal Church will have, not only with youth as resources, but with similar organizations in their own communities. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your time. Thank you for who <laughs> you are and helping us to learn more. Thank you, Julie, and thank you. Thank you. you. Thank you both for the opportunity.